Thank you. Y'all go ahead and be seated. Um, it's amazing to me how in this role as, as serving in a church, how we think we can get the pulse on exactly what's going to happen. And, and really, in my mind, we put out ropes in first service and I said, nobody's going to be here at nine o'clock because it's pouring down rain. But believe it or not, we were packed in here at nine o'clock and then everybody kind of disappeared to go to their Christmas parties this afternoon. But thank you for being here this morning. We're so glad that God has, has placed you here with us this morning at Chestnut Mountain Church to celebrate, to celebrate Christmas and what it's all about. And as we shared last week, um, you know, I told you that I was going to rewrite a song. Um, this is the most chaotic time of the year. Not the most wonderful time, but it's the most chaotic time of the year. I've written that song and I'm going to be singing it for you today. Are you ready? I'm just kidding. That's the part where you're supposed to get up and run out. Um, but you know, with the chaos that always comes, you know, we always talked about last week how we've got to be careful in the month of December that we've got to slow down to make sure that we schedule everything. Because there's, like I said, how many of you have got a Christmas gathering to go to this afternoon? How many of you have multiple Christmas gatherings to go to this afternoon? How many of you have a candlelight service to go to this afternoon? Praise the lamb. I was hoping there was going to be a few of you. Good. Well, you know, we have to schedule everything at Christmas like we talked last week so we don't miss anything. And you know, then there's those people that double book things at Christmas. How many of you despise those type of people that double book everything? Okay, that's me. Okay, uh, yes, I scheduled my daughter's birthday party this afternoon at the same time that we would be doing candlelight and communion here. So yes, that's me. My wife loves me for that. I'm still paying the price for that. So we'll be wearing dual hats this afternoon. We'll be celebrating birthday cake and ice cream and all of that kind of stuff. Well, no, you actually said there's no ice cream because that's really disheartening. I'm gonna keep it cold, didn't you? She's really mad at me now. Why are you shaking your head? <laughs> she said I drive her crazy. <laughs> well, anyway, um, but so, but as we know that it's the most chaotic time of the year, something else that we talk about when it comes around to Christmas time is that it's also the most expensive time of the year. <laughs> I got a, I got a, that's right. Um, we got an amen. But yes, it is the most expensive time of the year. And while we make a list of places that we have to go, um, all the parties that we have to attend, we also make a list of all the gifts that we have to buy, all the presents that, that have got to be bought, all of those type things. And we all know that as that list grows, the price grows. And when the price grows, what happens to our checking account? It plummets. It becomes non-existent. It disappears because Christmas is expensive. But you know, we, we spend a lot of our time throughout the year working for our hard-earned money so that when it comes Christmas season that we can purchase gifts because in our, in our culture, when we buy a gift and we give it to someone, this is coming across now as a way of letting you know how much I care about you, how much I love you. And you're going right now, you're already thinking he didn't get me anything. That means he don't care anything about me. I just realized what I said, so I apologize for that. But we know that it's an expression of our love, that we, we save up money all year long and then we, we spend it. And when we give that gift to that individual or that person, a lot of times the way they respond at that gift or to that gift, we can very quickly forget the sacrifice that went into it. 
When we buy a gift, when we purchase something, we, we give it with the anticipation that they're gonna love it and we have the hopes that they're gonna, they're gonna receive it and they're gonna be excited about it. And then when they rejoice, when they celebrate, especially in the, 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 the faces of a kid, when their, their eyes light up, as a mom and dad, when we give them that gift, it changes everything when they respond the way that we want them to respond. You know, I look back now and um, we go back and you can see old videos of, of you when you were a kid. Um, and, and I know there's one in particular that has really stuck out in my mind um, that one of my responses was recorded. Because you remember as, as Santa Claus comes and, you know, mom and dad are yelling at you, don't leave the room. There's, I'm, I'm the only house that, that was that way. We couldn't leave the room until everything was ready. Okay, that meant that they had all the cameras at the proper angles. They had all the cameras on ready to push record. And I remember my mom and dad, that, that dad would go in and, and get in his position, which was usually on the couch covered up in a sleeping bag because he really, you know, it was just a dad thing. But now my mom, she had the video camera. You know, now when we pull out a video camera, it's on our phone and we get to hold it like this. But I remember my mom, she would get the video camera and it was, <laughs> y'all remember that? And then she would push the button. You could hear that sucker crank. It was just, but I remember one specific Christmas. I think I was like 12 years old. You know, Santa Claus had came and my mom had had everything prepared. My dad was on the couch ready for, he was anticipating our response. But in that moment, my mom is, is, is sitting there at the end of the hallway and she pushes the record. Okay, y'all can come. And I remember here comes this little 12 year old guy walking down the hallway. Now look, Christmas is expensive. So how I responded was a big deal that morning. Was I gonna be excited or was I just gonna look at it? But I come down the hallway and my little cheesy, I'll never forget, like baby blue pajamas, buttoned down the front with my pant, matching pants, of course. And I remember I walk in the, the living room and my response, I looked at the gifts and I went, yes. Looked at the next one, yes. So for the next six minutes, I looked at every gift. Yes, yes, and that's all I said. And so now I look back and I really wanted to choke my own self out because I look like the biggest dork. But to my mom and dad, that yes meant everything because I was excited about the sacrifice that they had made. I was excited about the gifts that Santa Claus had brought. I was excited about Christmas. So it made my response, it made, it made the sacrifice worth it when they were able to see how I responded to that gift. But you know, this morning as we begin to, to try to slow down to look at Christmas, this is exactly what we tried to do last week because the familiarity of the story of Christmas honestly has become almost a mute point at Christmas. You know, last week I gave kind of the 32nd version of the Christmas story and we all laugh, but the reality is, is that is what Christmas is to us. If I ask you to share the Christmas story, you could all stand up and give me your 22nd version of the Christmas story. But you know, I don't think that's what God wants us to do today. I don't think that's what God led us to do last week is I don't wanna fly through this Christmas story and just move on past it to where we don't pay a lot of the little small details and give them the attention that they deserve. And so last week we looked at the gospel of Luke chapter two and, and we looked at verses 11 and 12 and we talked about how 
a baby was wrapped in cloth and lied in a manger. And we talked about what the weight of just those two miraculous signs were to the shepherds as the angel spoke and told them that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. To you and I, that's just the Christmas story. But to a shepherd, it meant everything because it spoke to them where they were. But you know what I love about verse 10, to go back one verse of what we read last week, um, I'll share that with you right quick, but I almost view this verse as kind of like the anticipation that we all felt as a child at Christmas. But in Luke chapter two, verse 10, this is when the angel appeared and he says, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. And kind of what that story tells me, just that part is it's almost like it's the angel is saying, okay, look, look, shepherds, I've got some great news. Are you ready for this? You better buckle your seatbelt because what I'm about to tell you is gonna change everything. I've got some great news. It comes in with, a, with, a, with a big price, but man, you're gonna love this gift. You're gonna love this announcement. And so I wonder where the shepherds just sitting there with anticipation of what they were about to say. Were they sitting there so excited, hanging on to every last word of the angel? But then the angel announced and he says, he says, do not be afraid for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. And then here it comes. Here's the big announcement. Here's the moment that they've all been waiting for. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You know, in the same fashion that we slowed down and looked at cloths and manger last week, what I want us to do this morning is to slow down and look at two more words. And I want us to look at what was wrapped in the cloths and what was lying in a manger. I want us to look at the two words, a baby a baby. And even with me saying a baby, many of us, our minds go to, okay, yeah, we know this is Christmas. It's a baby. It's baby Jesus. Okay. Yeah, we get it. That's what we celebrate. But the fact is, is we've become calloused to what a baby means, to what specifically this baby stands for. And so as I begin to just look at these two words, I mean, there's only so much you can do with a baby, right? A baby is a baby. And so the spirit, as I prayed, led me to another passage. And I want you to flip over to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. And what's interesting about this is the part that you don't see is on my notes last week, I had Philippians chapter two. I had it on my notes to share, but as we, we got moving, I think I mentioned it at one time, but, but I skimmed right over it. And what I realized is that God had revealed to me already what he wanted me to share with you today. And so as we look at Philippians chapter two, what we have to know is that where we're gonna be reading from, what's happened up to this point is, is Paul is challenging the church of Philippi, he's challenging the believers, how they look more like Christ. How can they take on the characteristics of Christ so that the church will be like Jesus wants us to be. 
And so he goes into to explaining and he goes into talking through the characteristics of Jesus. And, and basically he's, he's encouraging them, he's challenging them to not be selfish, to be selfless. He's challenging them to be humble like Jesus was. He's challenging them to view others greater than themselves. He's encouraging them to look out for the interest of others over themselves. But then as he's giving all of these characteristics, he kind of drops the bombshell on how Jesus exemplified all of this. And it comes in two words that, that, that we've put together in a phrase that we find in Philippians chapter two. And I want us to read with me, or I want you to read with me in verses five through eight. Starts out and it says this, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. I want you to highlight that. I want you to circle that. I want you to underline that, but that look at that phrase, the way that he showed humility, the way that he put others in front of himself, the way that he exemplified all of these characteristics that Paul is talking about come right here in this one statement of how he did it. He emptied himself taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what I want us to do this morning and what God has led us to do is we're gonna slow down and look at that phrase, emptied himself. Look at this example that Jesus put in place for us by emptying himself. Because the reality is, is we stand here this morning at Christmas time, we've emptied our pockets to try to express to someone how much we love them. But Jesus, the savior of the world, went over and beyond. He didn't just empty his pockets, he emptied himself. He gave everything that he had to offer so that you and I would know how much he loves us. And so we know that when he emptied himself, this means that he ridded himself a bunch, that he, he laid aside a lot of the things that made up who he was. But before we even dive into all of the stuff that he emptied himself with, one thing that we've gotta be careful, that we've gotta understand, is I first want us to look at what Jesus did not give up. We always talk about the sacrifice that he made. We always talk about what he gave up. But first, I want us to stop for just a moment so that we can understand first what Jesus didn't give up, what he did not lay down. The first thing that he didn't give up was he did not give up his deity. He didn't give up his divine status. You say, well, Brian, what does that mean? To put it in our language, if, if Jesus that day that he was born in a manger, if, if he was even capable as a baby to change his Facebook status, what we know is that Jesus' Facebook status would have not changed from the angle of he was still all-knowing, he was still all-powerful, he was still holy, he was still righteous, he was still love, 
He was still truth. He never ceased at being God. Even in coming as a child, even coming as a baby, what may not appear powerful, may not appear as all-knowing, what may not appear as who we think God should look like, he never stopped being God. He never stopped being the Almighty. He didn't transform completely. You know, remember when you were a kid, you, how many of you got transformers as a kid? I did all the time. And I remember Optimus Prime was my favorite one. And you remember that this, this guy would go from being a transfer truck to all of a sudden he would transform completely into being a, a, a man looking robot. What we have to understand is that God didn't transform as going from God to being human. But what God did was he took on human traits. He took on the likeness. Remember the Bible just read it, that he took on the likeness of men. Meaning that he never surrendered his authority of being God. He never stopped being God. Because one would be led to believe that when we read through Jesus's life, I think we can all agree that there was times of, of Jesus's life that it would look like Jesus lost control. He was being beaten. He was being tortured. He was being mocked. He was being ridiculed. But the reality is he was still God. He was still in control. And I don't know about you, but when I slow down long enough to think about that, to think about all that Jesus walked through, to think, think about all that Jesus was faced with. He was never out of control, meaning that God could have done whatever he wanted to do at any moment that he wanted to do it. But what we have to see is that Jesus, even being mocked, being ridiculed, being crucified, he never pulled the God card. He never said, you know what, that's enough. I can't take this torture. I can't take this misery. So you know what, I'm God. So I am God and therefore I can do what I wanna do. So this is over. We'll figure out a better way to do this thing. But even God, with all his authority, all of his power, he let his love for you, he let his love for me continue him down the path of torture and the path of misery. Because he knew that in order to fulfill the will of the Father, that this is what he had to do. He didn't come to abolish it, he came to fulfill it. And so while we see that he never lost the attributes of being God, all Jesus did was take on some added elements. And those added elements that he took on was to take on the likeness of you and I. To look like us, to walk like us, to become as a human. And when he did this, you realize that he became flesh. He became blood. Mary had to change his diapers. He cried when he got hungry. Doesn't sound a lot like God, does it? 
It doesn't sound a lot like somebody that's all-powerful, that's all-knowing, that's supernatural. But you see, he had to come on and take on every human perspective. He had to take on everything that was human in order to rescue us. In order to rescue us. So you may be asking, well, Brian, what, what did what did him coming to earth as a human cost him? What did he have to lay aside in order to come to earth as a human? He still carried all of the characteristics. He still, he never relinquished his power. He never relinquished his authority. But, but Brian, what did he do? You see, you realize that when Jesus was in heaven with God, when he was one with the Father, Jesus had all the privileges of, be, of being God. He had all the privileges of being God, meaning that he was master. He was ruler. He had life everlasting. He had full access to God at any moment. He was one with the Father. He had it all. He had everything. He had all the comforts of heaven. And by all of this, this is what we help to describe and help us understand when we say the phrase, the glory of God, he had all of God's glory. And you know, glory is one of those words that a lot of times we have a, a hard time putting a definition to it. Because I think if we, if we got and we sat down and we began to talk about this word glory, if I ask you, what, what, what is glory? What is glory? You would probably respond a lot of the way I did this week as I tried to define the word glory. We would sit and we would go, well, you know, glory, um, it is, you know, glory is glory. Well, no, define glory. Well, gl well, you know, glory is just, glory is glory, right? Well, no, define glory. What does glory mean? What, what does it say when we say we give God all the glory? What does it mean? What, glory, that's just, glory means Glory. It's just one of those words that's so hard to define because I don't think in our little human minds that we can really magnify and understand what it means when we talk about the glory of God. The theological definition of the, of the word glory means the manifested presence of God displayed in magnificence, meaning that it's shining, meaning that it's radiant, in the glory of God, we read all about it in the Old Testament. That anytime people became into the presence of God, either they couldn't look at it because of its magnificence, or we even look at Moses that when he left the presence of God, that his face was shining because it was the leftover remnants of the glory of God. So what we have to understand is that Jesus was the manifested presence of God. He was God's glory. He was everything that was God. And so then when he stepped into the New Testament, when he was born to this earth, you realize that he left behind the glory of God and he wrapped himself in human flesh. And I don't know about you, but I've never really looked at that per se. 
And so I began to pray this week and as God revealed what this really looks like to me in my little simple mind, you know, I envisioned and I can't tell you to turn to the book of Brian's Imagination chapter four. But as I sat and I prayed, I tried to, to get this picture of what does it mean that, that Jesus dropped the robe of glory and took on human flesh? What does that look like? And so I sat back and I envisioned, you can imagine how my brain works now. I envisioned this conversation between the son of God and God. And, and as they look down and they see a lost world that is making a mess, that is trying to raise their standards so that they can make God love them, that they're trying to follow all of these rules so that God will be pleased. And, and we know that they continue to fail. We know that they continue to make a mess of it. And I envisioned that Jesus, did he say, you know what, Father? Let me go rescue them. It's exhausting me to watch this. So let, let, me, let, me, let me go rescue them. And so I don't know about you, but the easy part for me to envision here would be for God to say, okay, God, here, Jesus, here's your Superman cape. Go swooping down to earth and look like the mighty warrior that you are and just gather them all up and bring them home to me. But God tells Jesus, he says, no, here, here's how it's gotta work. It's gotta all start with a baby. It's gotta all start with a baby. And in order for you to become a baby, you're gonna have to take off that robe of glory. You're gonna have to take off the presence of God and you're gonna have to lay it aside. You're gonna have to take all the magnificent beauty of God's glory off and you're gonna have to walk over here and you're gonna have to pick up this earthly human flesh and you're gonna have to put on it as a robe and you're gonna have to go meet them where they are. You're gonna have to go meet them where they are. And so like even some of us this morning, we didn't even like to take off the, the robe of our comfortable home in order to come into God's house today because it's nasty, it's cold, it's rainy. But what God has asked his son to do is to take off the robe of glory, to take off the weighty presence of the almighty, to take all off the magnificent radiance of the presence of God, willingly lay it aside, willingly lay it aside. Notice that, that nobody forced Jesus to take off God's glory. Nobody forced Jesus, nobody took it from him, but he willingly took off the robe of glory, laid it aside and willingly picked up human flesh in the form of a baby and was born in a stinky, damp, nasty, miserable manger. Doesn't really look like the arrival of the Almighty, does it? It's not really the picture of the arrival of a, of a savior. But this is what it meant. This was the weight of him becoming in the likeness of man. Coming in the likeness of man, meaning that he had to come wrap himself in flesh and deal with all of the struggles that you and I deal with. 
meaning that he had to face temptation, meaning that he had to feel pain, meaning that he had to feel rejection from his own father. You realize that when he took off the glory of God, he knew that what he was gonna face one day was the rejection of his own father. But he was willing enough to take all of that off. He was willing enough to lay all that aside so that he could come as a human in the likeness of a human and to take our punishment and become that sacrifice so that we would not have to pay that price. You know, as I I looked at these two words, as I looked at a baby all week long, I can honestly say that in my 42 years of living, I don't know that I've ever been as humbled by the Christmas story the way that I've been humbled this year. By looking at what Jesus took off to put on. Because there's days that if I were Jesus, I would regret doing what I did for me. Because there's days that I don't give him the glory he deserves, plenty of them. There's days that I will leave him out of everything that I do. There's days that I will do things without acknowledging him. There's days that I will not praise him. There's days that I will not worship him. But you know, he loved me in spite of all of that. You know, our response at Christmas time a lot of times says how thankful we are for gifts. And so as you get ready this week to go to Christmas party after Christmas party after Christmas party, I would encourage you that as you open gifts, be reminded of what people sacrifice to give you that gift. Be reminded that it's their hard-earned money. But be mindful of the fact that you need to let them know how thankful you are. Exhaust yourself letting them know how thankful you are. And with that, does our response to the Savior portray how thankful we are for the gift that he's given us? Does our lifestyle say, thank you, Jesus? Does our obedience say, thank you, Jesus? Does our surrender say, thank you, Jesus? Does our relationships say, thank you, Jesus? And so what I would love for us to do in this Christmas season, as we get ready to to continue on in the chaos this week. Be mindful of what it cost him. Be mindful of what he laid aside, what he willingly took off to put on. Because when we can get the picture of that when we realize that he laid aside all the privileges of being God to come and rescue you, to come rescue me, 
we realize that he deserves all the glory that he took off. And that our job as believers today is to give back to God what he willingly took off. Does our worship give him his glory back? Does our worship portray how thankful we are for this gift that he's given us all? You know, you can read article after article that one of the hardest seasons for churches, for pastors, and this is kind of the direction that we're going tonight in our, our candlelight and communion is every year that, 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 that church staff, pastors, they carry the weight of having to somehow package up this Christmas season. And so that you as a congregation can come here on a, on a Sunday or a Christmas or, and somehow you can unwrap this idea of Christmas and in the way that we exhaust ourselves as a team here is like, how do we make this more dynamic? How can we make Christmas appear more appealing to people? How can we make Christmas more exciting? The church, the reality is it doesn't get any more dynamic than a God that loves us enough to take off the robe of glory, wrap himself in human flesh and to come and rescue you. I can't make that sound any better. I can't make it any more dynamic than that already is. Our worship team can't make it sound any more dynamic. And the problem is, is we think that we have the, the ability in our flesh to make Christmas more attractive. It doesn't get any more attractive than someone dying for you. And so this morning, I wonder if we really believe that. Do we really see that? Do we really feel that this morning? But do we spend Christmas giving back to God what's His and that's His glory? Because you see, God in the flesh by the name of Jesus. He used all of his privileges of being God to rescue us, to save us. I read an article this week of, um, of a job consultant and he was a very successful job consultant. And he was asked, how do you always get people put in the right place? How do you always, get employees put in the right role where they flourish and where the organization that they serve in, where they work in, how, how do you always do that? And his response was this, it says, he was asked how he successfully continued to do this. And the job consultant, his response was this, if you wanna find what a worker is really like, don't give him responsibilities give privileges most people handle responsibilities if you pay them enough it takes a real leader to handle privileges a leader uses privileges to help others and to build an organization a lesser man uses privileges to promote 
himself. Thank God that Jesus Christ is the best example of leadership that anyone could ever see. You see, a true leader is one that lays aside all of his privileges for the building of the organization. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He used his privileges. He used his authority. He used his power to build the kingdom. That's what true leadership looks like. But you know what's heartbreaking is, as we mentioned a moment ago, is how our response or how someone's response to our gift usually makes it all worth it in the end. So the question is, is how have you responded to that gift? You know, what if on Christmas morning when I walked in and my mom had the VCR camera strapped on her shoulder and what if I walked in that room and I I viewed the gifts and I just went, you know, I don't need that. That ain't exactly what I wanted. Big deal. Mom, dad, can can I go back to bed? You know what it had done? It had broken their hearts because of the sacrifice that they had made on my behalf, on my brother's behalf, because we didn't appreciate, we didn't love what they had given. You know, the problem is, is there's many people probably here this morning that that's exactly the way that you're viewing the sacrifice that Jesus gave for you. And I, well, Brian, I don't really understand it all. It doesn't all make sense to me. So you know what? I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. I'm a good person. And I know in the end that that God's not gonna send a good person to hell. I know that that because I'm good to my wife, I'm good to my kids, I've never done this, I've never done that. And I know that in the end, when I die, God's gonna say, well, you know what? I know you didn't place your faith in Jesus, but you loved your wife, you loved your husband, you loved your kids. So therefore, you know what? Come on in, don't tell anybody, but I'm gonna let you slide right on in. That's contrary to what the word of God says. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through me. And through him is the gift of salvation. But what have you done with that gift is my question. Maybe this morning you're here and you've never celebrated that gift. You've never received that gift. I'm asking, you want to see Christmas in a different light? Surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Surrender your heart and your life to the Savior who came as a baby. And know that he died for you. Know that he was born for you. But maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer. You've surrendered your life to Christ many years ago. Maybe you did last week. But church, I would ask you this morning, does our worship exemplify how thankful we are for that gift? Does our obedience show that? Does our praise show that? Do how we treat others show that? Does our humility show that? But church, don't fly right through Christmas and forget about the baby. Don't forget about the baby. So I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes where you're at. And 
I know Christmas is made up of a lot of family events, a lot of times where we all come together. But right now I want this moment to be about you and you alone. And I would start out by asking the question, what have you done with the gift? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your heart and your life to him? Have you called on his name and has he saved you? Because the reality is, is if you've called on his name, he saved you. And so this morning, if you're here and you're saying, Brian, you know what, I've never done that. I've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I've never surrendered my heart and my life to Christ. I wanna ask you if that's you this morning, you say, I've I've never prayed to receive Christ. I've never chosen to follow him. I've never trusted in this gift of salvation. I want you to slip your hand up and put it right back down, anybody. Thank you, anybody. Okay, know this, that you don't have to raise your hand. But maybe right now in the moment of sitting in your seat, the Spirit of God is drawing you to Himself. And I would simply ask you to call on His name. Ask Him to be the Lord of your life. But now for the rest of us who are believers, who are following Jesus Christ faithfully, Does our worship show that? Does our worship exemplify that?